to alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I'm Paul Caputo, sportslogos.net minor league baseball correspondent, broadcasting live, as always, from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. We're talking today about one of one of my favorite brands. I know I say that a lot, but this is genuinely one of my favorite brands, and it has been for a long time. The Hillsborough Hops are the high A affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've got just a classic logo designed by Dan Simon. I'm going to be speaking with Dan Simon about the logo later on. I'll be speaking with Ira Bletz, who is a beer expert, who's going to tell us the history of the world as seen through the lens of beer. Right now, though, I am very pleased to be joined by K.L. Wambacher, who is the president of the Hillsborough Hops, who I spoke with back in 2015 for a SportsLogos.net article telling the story behind the nickname of the, of the Hops. And so, KL, it is great to see you again. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, man, it's so good to talk to you again. Like I said, I'm not just blowing smoke here when I say that this is one of my favorite brands. I've got it on a cap. I've got it on a T-shirt. Whenever I wear it, people comment on it. They're, you know, they're just like, oh, my gosh, what a, you know, what a fun idea for a brand. Can you tell me where the nickname Hops comes from for a team in, in just outside of Portland, Oregon? Well, it's, it's, it's a fairly complex story, which, so I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version, but it really started in our former city in Yakima, Washington. The team was there for 23 years. I was there for 12 of, of the years, um, and my first house I bought in Yakima was built from a torn down hop field, and so there's hops everywhere in Yakima, so we were moving the team to the Portland Metro, and we knew the craft beer scene here was dominant. I mean, it was one of the best in the country at the time, still is. And we were ourselves getting into the IPAs and a lot of the craft beer scene uh, from a personal standpoint. So as we moved the team from Yakima to the Portland Metro, we knew we needed to rename the team away from the Yakima Bears. We were going to be the Hillsborough something. And so um, through the process of brainstorming a lot of different names, we had Dan Simon on board. Um, he had developed some of our branding with, with, with Yakima. So we had a previous relationship with him. Um, and we gave him five names. And um, he, right away, he was like, Kale, it's hops. <laughs> I'm like, really? He goes, yep, it's never been done. Um, you know, it's got the baseball connectivity with the short hops and the, the, the um, crow hop and a lot of that. Um, it's easy to say. It's alliterative, alliterative with Hillsborough. Um, and I can make a killer character out of a hop. And so, um, you know, on that call, I can hear him on his uh, Google machine, finding images of hops. And, um, and, and from there, you know, it really took off. And, and I think about a month later, he came back to us with a first draft of a, of a logo. And, uh, you know, and, and, and he knocked it out of the park right away. We, we knew that uh, we were going to have a pretty successful brand. What was the thinking behind uh, going with Hillsborough rather than than Portland for the for the geographic signifier? Well, the, the biggest uh, point was Hillsborough built the stadium for us to move into. Okay. And so as part of our lease agreement with Hillsborough, we were required to use the, the city name um, as, as our brand, which, you know, we didn't push back at all. Uh, sure. And, and, and at this point, you know, it's, it's, We've, we've kind of helped put Hillsborough on the map, really. And Intel is here. They're in Hillsborough. They've got yep. 22,000 employees. So it's not like Hillsborough is a, is a sleepy little town. I mean, it's, it's one, of the, one of the better cities in the country. Right. Well, that's a pretty good reason, though, that you were contractually obligated to do that. True. So that, <laughs> that makes true. sense. You know, and, and part of the strategy moving to Hillsborough rather than moving to Beaverton or Portland or something like that, was to kind of create our own identity. We're the only pro team in Hillsboro. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not lost as much in the other with the other Portland professional teams, and yeah. so it's allowed us to really carve our own identity out um, in Hillsboro. And we're 15 minutes from downtown Portland, but depending on who you ask, it's either way out in Hillsboro <laughs> or it's just out in Hillsboro. So uh, sure. it's worked well for us. Well, in Portland, even though it has a pretty storied history with baseball, it's kind of a, it seems to have trouble getting traction with baseball, right? Like the port, the, the, the beavers come and go. 
obviously the Mavericks are sort of a classic story, but they were only around for five years. And so I would think starting fresh with a new, a new town name like that was probably, there was some thought to that as well, outside of the fact that you were contractually obligated to, right. to, to be Hillsborough. <laughs> so was there, I, I mean, you know, people look at minor league baseball and they think minor league baseball is family friendly and there's a lot of beer out there in the world and it's not like beer is like a menace to society, but was there any reaction against the fact that your logo, your, your brand is based on one of the ingredients in an adult beverage? There was, there was. And um, we had some conversations when we picked the name and another thing we'll give Dan Simon a lot of credit on is, you know, he told us, he's like, Kale, you're going to get a little bit of pushback, but stick with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, over, over time, people will accept the brand. Over time, people will really gravitate towards the brand. And a lot of times, people just have to see how the brand is, is used and what the experience is like. And so um, when we unveiled things back in 2013, we actually, or 2012, I guess it was, but we actually unveiled the team name first mm-hmm. and, then, and then the logo second. And, and when we did come out with the team name, uh, there was some, there was definitely some pushback. I mean, I remember early on, uh, uh, there was a a fan where their kid went to school with a hop sweatshirt on and the, and the school made them take it off. And, Mm. and we had, you know, some other people that, that, uh, kind of supported, um, our brand and where we were at and actually called and talked to the school principal who they knew personally and, and kind of encourage them that uh, that this is going to be a family friendly brand, and then you know that was released in the fall. The, the name and logo was released in the fall. We didn't play till June, so we had mm-hmm. you know this eight month period really before people even knew what the experience was going to be like. Who who are these people coming from Yakima? Um, and then once we played our first game. I think all of that went out the window. You know, people saw how family friendly it is, the kids zone, how kid friendly our games are, the music we play, um, the food, like everything. So um, it, it dissipated pretty quickly. Have you had much experience with folks who are not necessarily baseball fans, but who just like beer and like the sort of iconography of, you know, the, the hop logo itself? Have you, have you had a lot of sales in, insofar as you can track this stuff? Have you had a lot of sales to people who are just beer fans rather than baseball fans? We have had a ton of sales to beer fans versus baseball fans. <laughs> um, in the first year, within probably eight to 10 months, we had sold hats in all 50 states. Uh, it was incredible. It was one of those like aha moments, like we're onto something here. Um, <laughs> and there's been many times where I've been in an airport or been in another city, or I've had friends at craft brew festivals in Michigan yeah. um, that, that spot a hops hat and they'll take a picture and send it to me, or I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll give them a go hops. And, and sometimes people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, your hat. And they're like, <laughs> still kind of confused um you know so obviously they don't necessarily know who the baseball team is but um you know they 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 like the look and the feel of the hat so that's great absolutely so uh, you know one of the things that i sort of lament i and i hope this is okay to say this here but i'm actually not much of a fan of ipas right like i don't actually like a really hoppy beer so do you do you do you find that people want to express their opinions on beer to you? You know, just like, oh, you know, you couldn't have been the malts, you know, you couldn't have been the barleys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I know your Bar- mascot is barley. Mascot's so. barley, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which was named by a fifth grader. So anytime we get uh pushback with um how our mascot was named, we actually had six six different students that came up with the the name barley and we honored them back in, in 2013. So That's awesome. um yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, even in this, in this market, I mean, you know, you'll, you'll find a lot of people that are, that are IPA nuts, uh, myself included. Yeah. Um, and then you'll find a lot of people that are just worn out with IPAs. And yeah. so they're going into the, the more session style, the, the hazies have been really popular up here. Um, there's kind of a resurgence of Hefeweizen, which is kind of interesting. Um, there's a lot of really good pilsners now that yeah. um, the breweries are, are, are doing. So, um, and a lot of the breweries will tell you, like, it's easy to make an IPA. You can make a lot of mistakes and hide it with bitterness <laughs> and hops. Right, right. But when you're making a pilsner or some of those other um, light bodied beers, those are very challenging to make. So, yeah, in, th- in this market, you're going to find people all over the map. Yeah. Well, I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and that's sort of a, a miniature 
Portland, right? Like we fancy ourselves to be very bike friendly. We've got the great breweries Mm -hmm. and, you know, I would love for us to get a baseball team here, but we don't have a baseball team yet, but uh, yeah, I think Fort Collins. That's a great, I've heard it's a great beer town, Fort Collins. Yeah. Well, it is, it is. And we, the, the signature brewery here is, is New Belgium and they are just like all hops all the time, right? Like that's pretty much all they do anymore is IPAs. So I know I'm going to get, I'm going to get some beer fans out there who are going to yell at me for that. That's probably (laughs) wrong, but uh so I did want to, I wanted to ask you also about that uh, because the, the hops brand is, is a ton of fun. And like I said, I really, I absolutely love it. And even though I'm not a, a hoppy beer fan, I am a fan of, of Dan Simon's work and this logo in particular, but I wanted to ask you too about the Copa brand, the Copa de la Diversion. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast before, but in case this is your first baseball by design episode, it's a Spanish language program that minor league baseball has uh, where teams adopt Spanish language brands to broaden the fan base of minor league baseball. And so I'm curious about the uh, Sonadores, which is your Copa brand. Where did that name come from? Yeah, it was uh, the Sonadores brand has been, has been outstanding for us as well. So we, we first came out uh, when we joined the Copa program through minor league baseball, we came out with lupulos, which is the Spanish word for hops. And, Mm. and of course, you know, a bunch of people sitting around the office that don't speak Spanish thought it was a great idea. When we went out to market test it, it fell pretty flat. A lot of people didn't even know uh, that that was the Spanish word for hops. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we quickly repositioned. We actually uh, hired um, someone from the Latino community who's now on our staff and oversees a lot of our community development, Yvonne Hernandez, who's a rock star. And, you know, Yvonne um, helped us kind of recreate our Copa brand and, and we landed on Sonia Doris and our mascot is uh, Alabrije. It was, it was around the time when Coco, the movie from Disney was, was pretty popular, but it's a colorful, um, colorful Abrije, uh, um, you know, kind of a mystical creature that, that you're going to see in your dreams. Um, so it fit with the term dreamers, which is Sonia Doris. Um, and at the time, you know, we, we had a lot of conversation around this brand too, similar like we did with hops and beer. At the time, dreamers was, was very politicized and, and it was, it was, but we said, you know what, um, it might be politicized now, but it wasn't three years ago. And, and the term dreamer, we're all dreamers. I mean, yeah. we have a, our players have a dream to play in the major leagues. Uh, we have a lot of Latin players that their dream was to play professional baseball, and they're here in, in the U.S. playing professional baseball for the Diamondbacks. We have kids coming to our games that their dream is to be a firefighter or a baseball player or a basketball player. Um, so we're all dreamers. We felt it was this unifying term, which at the time and still still to this day, you know, there's a lot of kind of racial tension in, in, in our community and, and nationwide and and we felt like the dreamers is this unifying term. And so uh, we have a saying, todos somos sonadores, we're all dreamers. And um, it's, been, it's been wildly successful. That The hat's been successful. Um, it's really helped make connections for us within our Latino community and, and really bring our community together. So we're excited about uh, taking that brand forward. Well, it's a, and it's a terrific brand just visually too, right? Like it's a beautiful, it's a you know really nice logo as many of the Copa brands are. So that's, uh, and I should say too, I appreciate your gentle correction of my pronunciation of Sonia Doris. Uh, I, I, I've said I missed it a million the times there. by now. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, KL, thank you so much. This has really been, you know, a, a thrill for me to feature this logo. I'm looking forward to speaking with Dan Simon about it. Cause I, it's, it's one of my favorites of his as well. And, and so Thank you for for taking the time to talk to me about it. I really hope I it's one of my my major bucket list omissions right now is that I have not made it to a, a Hillsboro Hops game just yet. So I hope to get out there and catch a, a ball game and a and a helmet Sunday with that awesome logo on it. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, so uh, at Hillsboro Hops is all of our channels. Um, you can find us uh, on pretty much every channel that y- you can uh, do social on. But I uh, really appreciate you having me on, Paul. Uh, when you when you come out, we'll make sure we have some non IPA beers for you. Ready to go. <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate that. But if I'm at if I'm at a hops game and I'm having a beer, even if it's an IPA, it's going to be a pretty thrilling moment for me. So <laughs> KL, thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. All right, everyone, welcome back. 
I, I can officially say now I'm welcoming back friend of the show, Dan Simon. Now that we have actually shared a beer, gone to a ball game together. We didn't share a beer. We each had our own separate beers. But <laughs> so we, we we had a couple of beers. We went to a ball game. You played the dollar game with the baseball Palooza crew. And that is that is not everyone gets that opportunity, right? Like that is you're being welcomed into the inner circle when you play the dollar game with with the baseball Palooza crew. It didn't go great for you. I think you were down sixteen dollars at the end of yeah, the night. Yeah, your to... friends. I, I I understand why I was welcomed in. They liked my money very much. <laughs> they, they took your sixteen dollars absolutely, and then we got to visit your studio uh, the next day on our way out of Louisville. Uh, on our way to Columbus, we got to to stop by. I told the guys fifteen minutes, and of course they were too enthralled with everything that was going on there. And we ended up spending probably about forty five minutes there instead. So. You very generously. You've always been so generous with your time and with your with your talents and sharing them with with uh, with me and with the podcast listeners, and to share your your space and your time to join us for a game. So uh, again, a long intro here, but Dan, thank you so much, uh, friend of the podcast, friend of me. Thank you for for joining me, and thanks for for your generosity and your hospitality when we visited Louisville uh, for Baseball Palooza in August. Well, you're very welcome, of course, and. It was, uh, you know, you and I have known each other a long time now. We've spoken on, well, it can't be countless occasions, but sometimes it feels like that. It's certainly right. many occasions. And uh, it was great after all those times talking and sharing stories and all that, actually getting to meet you. And it was especially pleasant getting to meet all your friends. Great group of guys. And I had, for for you listeners, uh, these these guys are are all very funny. I, I just enjoyed sitting there listening to them, their banter back and forth. And uh, they were cutting on each other a lot, but all in good fun and all very funny. So um, I had I had a blast with you guys. Well, we we go way, way back and you gave as guy, as good as the, as they were given as well. So uh, you, you you joined in the banter. And so and that was fun. And, and you had a really good trivia question for the gang, too, that everyone everyone really enjoyed. So so anyway, it was it was fun to, to share that time with you. And and we drank some beers, as I mentioned, there were there were several beers at the brew pub by the Louisville Bats ballpark. And then, you know, during the game, of course. And I bring that up. Because we're talking about the Hillsborough hops and hops are, of course, one of the four ingredients that it takes to, to make beer. This brand has been super well received by baseball fans in the Pacific Northwest, as well as beer fans everywhere. The very engaging uh, anthropomorphized hop character that you created is obviously a big part of that. Uh, I know that it references the agriculture in the area, but it also is a wink and a nod to the importance of uh, beer, the association of beer with baseball. I don't even have a question for that yet, so let me <laughs> let me phrase that in the form of a question here. What were the considerations in in creating this this very well received uh, hops character, who is the foundation of this Hillsborough hops brand uh, that was unveiled in 2013? Well, as we have as we have said on this podcast. Many times uh, we've used the word anthropomorphication okay. and, and bringing human characteristics and qualities to an either an um, inanimate or animal object. And that was the main thing here. We, I, I, it was established very early on that that's what the club wanted was a, a hops character. So it was just a matter of, frankly, doing what I've done so many times is is uh, making a compelling character out of something that's otherwise just this thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so I was actually, prior to getting on this call with you, I was going back over uh, my presentations, plural, to, to the team uh, to re remind myself of what we did in the first round, I gave them three different looks um, and with very minor changes, they went with one of them. We, we changed the hat style a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I originally had him actually hopping and so he had he had arms and legs and he was in a hopping pose uh and for the 
for the primary logo and the cap logo, we ended up per the 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 team's request, uh, lopping those appendages off. <laughs> but I still delivered as a secondary logo that artwork with him with his with his arms and legs hopping just so that they have uh, additional tools for their toolbox of of building their brand. So they they had him, they can use him, not just the head only version, but a full body version. So there's one of him hopping. And I believe I gave him one with a bat on his shoulder. Hmm. No, no, I take it back. Um, one with him leaning on a bat, like uh, with his hand, like, players will sometimes do um so those are some extra deliverables that i i provided to them do you do uh, they ever use them do you ever see them actually out there in the in the world yeah yeah and they actually had somebody else do for them one one with him either swinging a bat or bat on the shoulder so yeah they I, i'll tell you one one of the one of the challenges of this identity was coming up with additional elements beyond the main cap logo, the home cap logo and the primary logo, because even though this is very much a beer themed identity, because this is minor league baseball, they, they didn't want anything that suggested the alcohol um, connection Mm-hmm. with with hops mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting you're naming the team hops right and one of the reasons that they named the team hops is you mentioned the agriculture but even more so i think they if i recall correctly one of the things they mentioned is that the portland area hillsborough is a uh, uh, uh it's just it's the greater Portland area mm-hmm. um, and Portland, the Portland area has, according to them, like more craft breweries than, than any city or certainly has a lot of craft breweries. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's part of the Portland area scene. So that was the, the reason for them choosing this name. But then when doing the identity, they didn't want anything that re- visually referenced alcohol. So uh, things that I might have otherwise considered, like, um, I don't know, a beer stein or a glass of beer or something that we could have done and and a secondary logo using those themes. They didn't want any of that, which limited really what we can do because what else is left then? We already covered the hops. Right. Um, I I had some things with um, leaves, like the, there's a leaf to a hop vine, just like the leaves on the the vines that are on um, Wrigley Field's outfield mm. fence, but those didn't end up getting used. Um, so that that was that was one of the challenges. But that's why I delivered these extra character illustrations for them just so they had more tools for the aforementioned toolbox. Sure. It's funny that that they didn't want the visual representation of beer. This was nine years ago. I feel like that has really shifted in the last three, four or five years, right? You've got Asheville that has its beer city. I mean, they actually have a beer city brand. And then you've got, uh, you know, you've got like teams called the, the, beer mongers and and you know uh the bowling green hot rods have some definitively alcohol-based alternate identities and so i feel like that has really changed in the in the nine years since this logo has been around that that uh, aversion to visually representing alcohol in, in a minor league brand or at least an alternate brand has has changed yeah for for sure there's there's also one of the Copa identities, I don't know offhand which team it is, I bet you you do, the Cervezas, which is even people who don't know Spanish know that Cerveza, m- many people do, know yeah. that Cerveza is Spanish for beer, and so they're yeah. coming right out. It's basically, the they play as the beers. So right. It's the Doran Bulls are the Cervezas for yeah. the Copa brand, and the El Paso Chihuahuas have a Margaritas brand. Right, right, yeah. and you know what? That's just off the top of our heads. And right. for, for all I know, there's if if 
Well, look at uh, here in Louisville, one of their alternate identities is the mashers, which mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. mash is an ingredient of um, bourbon. And yeah. then they also have, in addition to that one, they've got the mint juleps, which is famously consumed at the Kentucky Derby, which is for those who don't know, Churchill Downs is, is located here in Louisville. So, yeah, there's a lot of, of alcohol-themed <laughs> um, uh, identities out there now. I imagine if Hop's identity were done today, I, I would imagine they'd go in that. They, they wouldn't hide from the alcohol. It was the it was the gateway to the all these other alternate brands. You you, you opened the doors. You and the hops opened the doors to all these other brands uh, that are that are out there now. Uh, well, I never thought of that, but I I if it was done nine years ago, I I imagine you're right that it does predate all of those. I think it does. Uh, yeah. One of the other things that is I think notable about this brand is you know often the use of colors in sports brands you'll have at least one warm color right like this soothing blue and you know the the green and the, the there's a couple of different blues and there's greens and it's it's largely cool colors although it's there's the green is a little bit of a warm green uh because it it trends towards the yellow a little bit but it's uh you know it's it's intentionally a a more soothing color palette than you might get with like the big complementary blue and orange you know purple and yellow that you see in in a lot of sports teams yeah to to quote my illustrator friend Paul Rogers, uh, he he once said to me, "There are no bad colors," and mm -hmm. and I I like that that thinking, and to a certain degree that that is true. And however, there are some colors that or, or color combinations, color palettes that are nicer were more pleasing to you. I think you just used that word pleasing mm -hmm. than others. And I will agree that this one w is a particularly pleasing uh, color palette. Whenever I see images of the team, it just, it's always, it gives me, even though they're not necessarily, as you mentioned, they're not all warm colors. The blue, blue is a cool color. Uh, it it gives me a warm feeling <laughs> looking at them. It's, it's uh, as you said, very pleasing. That's like the old Stephen Wright joke about how he and his friend had a furious argument over what they consider an odd number. <laughs> Stephen <laughs> Wright, one of the one of the all time great stand up comics. So good, so good. I like. I always enjoyed him so much. So. Well, this this brand, you know, and I always ask you this about the the brands that that do well out there. And I know that there's, you know, tons, tons of the brands that you've done have been very popular. But this one has had staying power. I know that it's been popular outside of just baseball fans, right? Like that it's been noticed by by beer fans as well. Is there is there something consistent that you notice or is there anything specific about this brand that you can point to? You know, even just knowing that, like, one of the first sketches that you provided was pretty close to the final product, right? Like, this is this this feels like one of those sort of nailed it in one moments, right? Like, this has been a the you know it was it didn't require much revision after the first draft and has been very popular since then. Is there something about it that you can point to that they in retrospect where you say, yeah, I can see why this brand's been popular? Um, I can't say for sure, but. I think part of it is, and th and this has to, this is something that this logo has in common with, I guess, other logos that I've done is I, I try to give these characters a look that is neither too cute nor too threatening. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, if you look in, in the landscape of minor league baseball logos, there's some pretty cute characters out there. Mm -hmm. And then there are also some threatening ones. And I feel like those are going, those swing the pendulum too far in one direction or the other. And rather what you want to do is is make them compelling, make them some, some this guy, this Hobbs character is tough but 
he's also got a little bit of an attitude. So mm -hmm. giving it that attitude without swinging the pendulum too far in, in the other direction, I think is what makes for a particularly compelling character that, that resonates with fans. He looks like he's up to something. He, uh, you know, it's not like he's, he's outwardly openly menacing you, but he does, he looks like he's got something up his sleeve, even if he doesn't have arms and legs. Cause as we know, they were, <laughs> they were lopped off, but it does. I don't know. He, he looks, he's, he's got a, a sort of devilish smirk on his face there that I think people, people respond to. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of like uh, in the movie field of dreams when moonlight Graham gets that one at bat and he, winks at the pitcher and the pitcher is like what are you what is he winking at me what, what's he up to so yeah it's 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 that what's he up to kind of uh look yeah well i have to say it's it's one of the brands i noticed right away when i started covering minor league baseball and and i actually uh, i remember seeing someone walk by in the airport years ago you know i was in the airport and i had just started writing for sportslogos.net and uh, and it was one of the I knew the brand, but uh, you know I saw I saw someone in an airport in a different part of the country wearing it, and I was just like, ah, oh, that's that's such a great cap. I got to get that cap someday. And at that time, I had this principle in place that I was only buying caps and T-shirts from ballparks that I had visited. I still have not visited the hops, but I have two hops T-shirts and a hops cap. So it, the hops were one of the ones that made me break that principle of mine. And so now I just have to get out there and see a game. Well, that says something right yeah. there. That's, uh, <laughs> that's um, hey, in Portland, I, I've not been to Portland, but everybody who I know who's been there has very nice things to say about a great place to visit. So you and me both, I, I, that's one of the projects where I did not visit the client. And so I've, I've not been there, been to Seattle several times, but never to Portland yet. So, uh, well, you need to put that on your baseball palooza itinerary one time. A Pacific Northwest baseball palooza trip is in the offing. We have to. Um, we're, we really want to find a time when both the Tacoma Rainiers and the Vancouver Canadians are playing, because uh, you know the Tacoma is the only AAA team in the area, really. And then you know to get to Vancouver, to, it would be our first international baseball palooza there. So, so one year. On the third weekend of August, when we can find the Rainiers and the Canadians playing on the on the same weekend, we're gonna we're gonna do baseball palooza in the Pacific Northwest. Have you guys ever included a collegiate summer league stop on your baseball palooza tours? We have not. The closest we have come to that is the Chicago Dogs, the independent professional team. So we've only done we've done almost entirely affiliated teams, and then we actually one year did the Chicago Cubs, where uh, we went and sat in the bleachers in a Sunday afternoon when it was 150 degrees, it's the hottest I've ever been at a baseball game. You know, the, there were, the only reason we, we broke our, our principal there and saw a major league game was because some guys had not been to Wrigley Field yet. And, you know, we figured they needed to do that. So there's lots of possibilities for, for where baseball palooza is going to be next year. You know, if you, if you can uh, start, start saving up your single dollar bills and, uh, and, and <laughs> come, come join us, we'll keep, we'll, we'll put you on the Google doc and let you know where we're going to be and when. Well, I'm actually going to another Louisville bats game tonight with my wife and I'm going to tell her to bring a bunch of singles and can, can you, can you do the dollar game? It does it work with two people. We, uh, you know, we've never done it with a fewer than, you know, six or seven, I think, but you know, you could give it a try and see how it works. I expect that, you know, with you and your wife, it's all coming from the same bank account anyway. And Hey, for your listeners edification, do you, have you ever described on, on one of your podcasts, what the we, dollar game is. It's, it's fun. We, we, I, I did on, there was an episode with uh, Ben Hill and uh, Patrick Newt of baseballmapper.com and my buddy, Jeremy, who was one of the co-founders of baseball Palooza. So I did a, a baseball road trip episode uh, a little while back, but uh, just to, yeah, just to recap, it's, it's basically we use a random number generator in the van between games to assign each guy in the van a spot in the lineup for the home team and the away team. And then when your spot in the lineup comes up, if he gets a hit, you get paid. If he gets a single, you get $1 from everyone in the group. If he gets a double, you get $2 from everyone in the group, so on, so on. And so when you attended the the bats game with us, you, I think ended up with the sixth and the seventh spot uh, for the home and the away. And right. 
predictably it didn't go great for you. And so I, I, I felt bad. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't get shut out. I actually got shut out that game. I, I did worse than you did. I was, I was down, I think $24 at the end of the night, but. Yep. I just, I, I had a single single and that was it. One single. I, I got shut out in two of the four games on baseball Palooza, but in one of them, I had a, I had one player. I had one guy who had two doubles and a triple. And so that, uh, that helped balance out my losses a little bit for the week. It's fun. <laughs> it, it, it adds another layer to the enjoyment of going to a baseball game. I, I, I remember going to a game once and these guys sitting in front of me were, or around me somewhere, we're, we're doing this thing where every time an inning ended and the baseball was returned by one of the players to the pitcher's mound, mm -hmm. uh, they were betting on whether it would stay on the dirt or roll off into the grass. <laughs> and, and they were exchanging dollars based on that. I believe they had some other things as, as well. So there, they too had dollars going back and forth during the, during the game. And it, it just, it, it, it's another fun thing you can do at, at a, at a baseball game. It keeps you engaged with every single at bat. The only, I think the only spot in the lineup uh, that, that did not have, uh, you know, money at stake was the nine spot for both teams. So, cause there were eight of us there. So it does, it does keep you engaged. And if you, if you disappear, you know, if you go get a helmet Sunday on the concourse and you come back, you know, every, they're going to tell you what you owe or whether you're owed money, right? You know, if, you know, if you go, go get a beer and come back and, you know, you might, you might find that your beer's already paid for because your guy got a single. So it's, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the other thing that happened at that game that was fun was you were, you were wearing your Savannah Bananas gear. And sure enough, a fan wearing a Savannah Bananas jersey at a Louisville Bats game goes walking past and and after you resisted a little bit, you finally let me uh, make an introduction and say, "Hey, guess what? The guy who designed that logo is right there." And so that was that was fun to, for me, it was fun to to see you know one of your designs go walking by while we were hanging out. Yeah, the the bananas has uh, far exceeded what I ever imagined a collegiate summer league team would would do as far as getting their brand out there. That's we've already talked about that on the uh, we have we have on the podcast. So we'll <laughs> we'll. Uh, if you want to hear about that one, go back and and listen to the Bananas podcast. Episode something something. Very cleverly named, by the way, that episode named Savannah Bananas. So you can find it pretty easily. <laughs> Dan, this has been fun talking about the Hillsborough Hops, one of my favorite brands in minor league baseball. Fun reminiscing about getting to hang out with you during Baseball Palooza. And we will talk again soon. As always, your website is studiosimon.net. You're on Instagram at studio underscore Simon. Still not on Twitter. I continue to resist and <laughs> maybe someday I'll give in, but have not yet. I can't wait for the splash that that's going to make. So Dan, thank you so much. This has been fun and we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Looking forward to the next time. All right, everyone, welcome back. This is such a treat here because I get to talk with my friend, longtime friend, Ira Bletz, who is the co-founder of the Historic Eating and Drinking Society. It's not his full-time gig. He's got another full-time gig with a real live professional association. Ira is not only a baseball fan, longtime, diehard San Francisco Giants fan, which we forgive him for, but also has actually been to a Hillsborough Hops game, is wearing a Hillsborough Hops right now, and is, in my mind, one of, if not the foremost authorities on the history of beer and the role that beer has played in, in crafting societies. So, Ira, thank you so much for, for being here on Baseball by Design. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here, and thank you for the introduction. And yes, beer is responsible for modern civilization. All right, let's start there, Ira. How how is beer responsible? Oh no, no, no. Sorry. Before we get to that, what are you drinking? Right now, I'm drinking 805 from Firestone Walker. A classic. Very nice uh, ale brewed right in in the central coast of California. All right, I've got I've got a Polygamy Porter from Wasatch Brewery in uh in I, Oregon. I love the logo. It's a great logo. <laughs> it is a great logo. <laughs> there was um. During the Olympics in Salt Lake City, they they had a they had a beer out called Saint Provo Girl, mm -hmm. and they had billboards all over with a picture of a a woman dressed in some sort of Oktoberfest fantasy outfit, tastefully done because it was Utah. 
of course. And she, and she was lying horizontal. And the, the tagline on the billboard said, if you just said, oh, my heck, this beer's not for you. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty great. I should say too, that, that your knowledge of beer and beer logos is sort of akin to, you know, what I consider to be my affinity for, for minor league baseball and minor league baseball logos. You have a, a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of, of beer. What is, I know that you track the number of beers that you've uh, had in your lifetime. What is your, what's your life list right now? What's the total? Well, I, I actually started my life list uh, at the National Association for Interpretations National Conference in St. Paul, Minnesota mm. in 2011. I remember it well. And I, I went out there and I was doing a beer, beer interpretation program as part of the conference. Yeah. And it was all, except for one, it was all Minnesota beer which I had actually never tasted because they didn't sell them in California, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I have cousins back there. So I vetted my list with my cousins. <laughs> and when I got there, one of my cousins took a couple of days off from work and took me around so I could actually taste every beer before I talked about them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was quite helpful. And then uh, tasted a few of the beers. But when I got back from uh, St. Paul, I had tasted 40 beers. All and, right. That's a good start. And as a, as a naturalist and a bird watcher, I have a bird life list, of course. Yeah. And it was suggested that I have a beer life list. So starting with November 2011, I started my list. I now have 4,257 beers <laughs> on my list. <laughs> How many of those do you think have been at ball games? Um, You know, Probably a relatively small number because okay. most ballparks are fairly limited in what True. they they have. Though at the at the at the Giants Stadium, uh, they have a place called the Public House, mm -hmm. which you can go into before the game, and I highly recommend it. Okay, uh, get a little table on their patio, and you can watch all the people arriving for the game. And they have rotating caps, so they'll have maybe fifteen different beers on tap, and it changes all the time. And so that's a great place to. To build your life list. So you could get 15 beers a night if you went to a San Francisco yeah, Giants game you and you were super rich. <laughs> and, well, and the beers are cheaper in the public house than they are inside the ballpark. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So, that, so we're burying the lead here though. The 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 question yeah. that you started on was uh, how how is beer responsible for civilization? Well, if you think about when beer was discovered and I'll put air quotes around discovered, uh, you think of hunter-gatherers living in ancient Mesopotamia, the, the Fertile Crescent, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and they heart, and as hunter-gatherers, they went out and harvested wild grain, including wild barley. At some point, some of that barley got wet, it sprouted, the, the, the starches inside those little kernels were converted to sugars by enzymes, and wild yeast, which floats around us all the time, landed on that wet, soggy grain and made it a little foamy. And someone tasted it and it tasted good. And so people suddenly had a desire for this liquid. Mm -hmm. And if you wanna have beer all the time, being a hunter-gatherer is a 50-50 is a proposition. But if you become a farmer, if you domesticate barley, and start growing it as a farmer, then you have a much more dependable supply. And that's exactly what happened. Well, if you start farming, you gather together in small communities. Over time, those communities become villages, cities. And then next thing you know, it's modern civilization, all because people settled down, adopted agriculture so they could brew beer. And Many people are skeptical of my theory, <laughs> but if you think about the, the grains that we've domesticated, the first grain we domesticated was barley. It wasn't wheat, it wasn't rice, it wasn't corn, it was barley. Mm. And barley's best possible use is making beer. It sounds like a slam dunk case to me. I don't know how you could refute that. So it's- uh... I, I, I think that, I, I don't think you could. So I, I should say I have attended this program that you present 
three yes. three or four times in different cities and in each city you use the the local beers yes and you've presented this this theory and on no occasion could i have actually recounted that theory back to you because part of this program that you do is you provide samples i think right. it's 10 four ounce samples yeah. over over the Ten course of this beers. program so right. one of the things that i like is you always include an ipa we're talking about the Hillsborough hops here, and so hops are, of course, uh, associated with IPAs because it is a, a hoppy beer. So, can you can you tell the history of where, how it came to be that India Pale Ales were hoppy beers? Sure. Let me let me go back much earlier than when IPAs were developed as a style. So, in in the days before refrigeration, and by the way. Refrigeration was invented for use in a brewery. <laughs> um, so we can all thank breweries for us having refrigerators in our houses. But Cheers to that. Um, beer is a perishable food. Uh, it's a living thing. And over time, and, some, and depending on the weather, not very much time, beer can uh, sour, it can, it can get... Uh, funny taste. It can get taste like wet cardboard. There's all kinds of things that happen because the yeast is still alive. The yeast is still working and temperature and light and time all have impacts on beer. So to make beer last longer, people were desperate for some way to preserve it. And they were adding almost anything you can imagine. Every herb, every spice, pine needles, spruce bark, all kinds of things to beer to try to make it last longer. So, so they could ship it a little further than just the town where it was brewed. And they, they hit upon hops really by accident. Someone wandered into the forest in Southern Germany or, or what was Bohemia. And they found this vine, this vine that grows 10 to 20 feet tall with these funny little paper-like flowers, these little weird cones. And when you taste them, they taste very bitter. So people gathered those up as they did everything else they found in the forest to try to put in their beer. And they added hops. And hops actually worked as a preservative for beer. Because there's acid in the hops that, that retards the growth of bacteria, which is going to mess with your beer. And the, the, the hops also did a couple of other interesting things. They cut the sweetness of the beer because they, they add a little balance between sweetness and bitterness. And they also helped clarify the beer. So your beer was a little clearer. It wasn't quite as murky and cloudy as, as some of those early beers were. So that was in about the year 800. So move forward to 1800 and the British Empire is has extended itself to India. And without refrigeration, even with hops, brewing near the equator is really tough. If you're trying to brew English style ales. Now, now people all over the world, anybody who's got any kind of grain has figured out how to turn it into beer. But if you want an English style ale and you don't have refrigeration, brewing near the equator is, is really tough because the yeast works at high temperatures and produces off flavors that makes the beer taste pretty bad, but it won't make you sick or kill you. Anyway, right. so they would ship beer to India and, and put it in ships, ship it there. And the voyage took so long that the beer would get oxidized. And when beer gets oxidized, it tastes like wet cardboard. <laughs> Nobody wants beer that tastes like wet cardboard. <laughs> so brewers knew that alcohol is a preservative. And they knew that hops are preservative. So they started brewing these export ales to send to India that had a little more alcohol and, and more hops than any of the domestic ales that they were brewing for consumption in the British Isles. The beer arrived in India without spoiling, which made it a huge hit. So when all of those English folks who tasted this ale in India returned to England, they developed a taste for things that were a little higher in alcohol and a little hoppier. Well, the brewers quickly realized that this beer they were only brewing for export could be sold at home and could, could be a new style. And so India Pale Ale was, was born. 
Thanks to hops. Thanks to hops. Thanks to hops. Well, let's talk about hops then. You're wearing your hops cap. You've been to a hops game. I'm very jealous. I have not been to a hops game. It's very it's much a, on my list. Would love to let, get there. Let me just say it is a beautiful ballpark. the The city of Hillsboro actually built the the stadium, mm -hmm. and it's it's wonderful. The you're close to the game as you are in minor league parks, but it's very modern, easy to get around. And if you go, they have a stand that sells. Marion Berry cider on on tap. <laughs> That's funny, <laughs> and you got to go with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, so I I plan to get there someday, possibly even as early as Baseball Palooza twenty twenty three. We'll see what happens. They so they have hops as their logo created by Dan Simon, who we just talked to right. on this episode. Uh, but then they have barley as their mascot, and that right. I believe is two of the four ingredients that you need for beer. Right? right? Just water yes. and yeast are the other two. Yes, you need you need water, yeast, barley, and hops. All right, and they've got two represented in their brand between their logo and their mascot here, so that's that's pretty fun. So, Ira, honestly, this is like I could talk about this all day, and I, and I know that because I've been to your program three or four times. But uh, I I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about beer, talking about the hops. Is there anything I haven't asked you about the uh, about the hops brand that that particularly appeals to you that you wanted to mention? Well, I, I would say that hops are, a, are an important plant in, a plant in brewing, and most of the hops in the U.S. now come from Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. So that's, that's hop country, especially uh, the Yakima Valley of Washington. That's where most of the U.S. hops come from. But in recent years, uh, people have started growing hops in other areas. I know here in California, in the, in the Central Valley and in the San Francisco Bay Area, which were both areas where hops were once grown in abundance, uh, people are trying to grow them again uh, commercially, sort of for craft brewing purposes. Okay. Well, Ira, I, I hope to to catch up with you at a ball game soon and see if we can't get like number 4,500 on your beer list or whatever at some point. That would be fun. Uh, I appreciate you coming by. I'm I, I know the answer to this question, I think, already, but is the Historic Eating and Drinking Society online anywhere? Can people find that uh, on social uh, I, media? Or I do have, I do have, a, there's a blog on Blogspot. Okay. Uh, though I, I haven't done much with it lately. Okay. The pandemic really put a, a, a damper on the Head Society, but the whole purpose of the Head Society is to take okay. advantage of Northern California's uh, culinary history. So we have gone to Martinez, where the martini was uh, created. We've gone to Santa Cruz, where the caramel apple and chocolate-covered bacon uh, originated. Uh, we've gone on Italian cookie walks in North Beach in San Francisco. Uh, we visited the oldest bar in Oakland, a place where, where Jack London used to do his homework when he was a student at the University of California. So it's... a uh, it's a fun it's a fun organization as I said uh, coming out of the pandemic now uh, we're gonna we're gonna revitalize the uh, the historic historic eating and drinking society and and start some trips I was remiss in not mentioning that historic eating and drinking society stands for head society I I, I left the acronym off and that's one of the most fun things part about it yeah. so Ira thank you so much this has been a ton of fun uh, your the history of beer as told by Ira Bletz is one of my favorite things from my Long-time employment with the National Association for Interpretation and, and your program at our conferences has been a ton of fun. So thanks for coming on and, and talking about that. I know that we're going to see you in Cleveland at NAI 2022 because you're receiving an award there, too. I will be in Cleveland. Fantastic. I'll see you then. Thanks, Ira. Sure. Thank you.